Welcome to the House on Fire podcast. Our aim is to light a fire for Jesus in the homes of those who listen through encouragement and equipping. Let's partner together to advance the gospel in the next generation. I am your host, Lucas Jackson, and I am passionate about seeing more people on fire for Jesus. When you listen to the House on Fire podcast, you'll hear from people you can rub shoulders with every week at Bethel Church, because all of our guests are from our church family. These are people striving to love God, love others, and to serve the world. James, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today, man. Super excited to have you, bro. Hey, I am excited to be here. Thank yep. you for the invitation, Lucas. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So tell us a little bit about yourself, James, before we dive into the topic of discussion today. Yeah. Uh, so for those who don't know me, my name is James Saylor. Uh, I have been a part of the Bethel Church family for quite a while now. My family. How long, how long is quite a while? Well, since way before you were born, is no, what? No, oh, okay. no. We started attending in two thousand and four. Okay, all right. Uh, so I was right around uh, going into third grade at that time. Okay, third grade. And so I kind of went through the Iwana program uh, through T and T. Uh, I was involved in the youth group throughout my years as a teenager. Yeah. And I have stayed in Fargo and attended NDSU. So I stayed a part of Bethel throughout that entire time. Yeah. Uh, so just over 20 years then, I guess, right? Yeah. It's kind of hard to fathom. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, and tell us a little bit. I mean, you're single right now, right? I am. And yes. what are you doing for work and passions and all that fun stuff? Yeah. Uh, so for my job, I actually just started serving with a campus ministry called Bridges International. Yep. Uh, it is a, a ministry of crew that focuses on reaching out to international students. Yeah. And it's something that I got involved with uh, over the past few years as a student and now have the opportunity to intern for this school year. Yeah. And so I get to work full-time uh, meeting and building relationships with international students, helping organize events and gatherings and Bible studies for international students yeah. and trying to equip uh, student leaders and others to care for international students well and welcome them and share Jesus with them. And you were part of crew at NDSU. I was, yes. And then with Bridges of Hope Now, that's also NDSU campus, but other campuses as well or just primarily that one? No. So I serve with Bridges at both NDSU and MSUM. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So both those campuses, so you're probably going back and forth quite a bit to both yes. campuses. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you raise support. I did. Right. Yes. And that, would most of your support raising be from Bethel families or a large part of it or all of it or? A large chunk okay. was from my Bethel family. Okay. Both the, the church as a whole is partnering with me. Yeah. And then I have many dear friends here who- yeah have been partnering with me financially and through prayer. And you're and fully supported, right? I am, yes. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. I love it, brother. And then uh, your mom and dad come here as well. They do. Yep. And so tell us a little bit about them and just your extended family because they're a part of the church as well. So Yeah. So my parents are Jerry and Rose. Uh, they have been coming here as long as I have. <laughs> Probably a few more, <laughs> yeah. a few more years. Um, and they... Uh, 
if anyone has been around Bethel for a while, even if you don't know their names, you probably recognize them because they have served in a variety of ways. Yes, sir. I serve with your dad on Wednesday nights with Journey, mm-hmm. um, and he serves in student ministry as well. So He does. Yeah. yeah. That has been a, a really neat dynamic to experience is my dad served as a youth group leader for parts of the time that myself and my brothers were in youth group. Yeah. And so now... Um, really since like a year after I graduated high school, I've been serving as a, as a small group leader with the youth group. Yeah. And so it's been really neat to serve alongside my dad uh, and get to see him and my friend Ben care for a couple of generations of guys now really well. Yeah. That's awesome, man. So, and, and then... Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, um, as far as my family, uh, my brother Paul is still around here. Uh, yeah. He recently got married to Abby, so yes. I'm excited to have a sister. Yeah, and then my brother Christian is still in town. He's plugged in over at another church across town. Okay. Awesome. And then, uh, if I remember, so James serves on the prayer team in student ministry. Your brother, and then his wife Abby, your mm-hmm. new sister-in-law, she serves in student ministry and she serves in fifth grade on Sunday mornings as well. So your your whole family is just kind of plugged in here all the, like crazy, which is great. Yes, we uh, we got another one of these small group leaders to become a sailor. So yes, that is a joyful thing, man. Mm-hmm. Well, if somebody were to be on campus on a Sunday morning and and were to rub shoulders with you, where would they find you? What what service you normally attend? And the reason we bring this up because we got you know two main services here at the Fargo campus. We have the uh, we have our, a, a second campus down in Kindred. So some some of our folks are down there serving that community like crazy. And then we also have here at the Fargo campus a tradition service. So mm-hmm. um, it's a uh, traditional music, mm-hmm. but it's in another little worship space here on campus. So where could people find you if they were to, to look for you on a Sunday morning? Yeah, I have been going to the second service normally at 1045 okay. yeah. for many years. Yeah, uh, My family has sat down towards the front for a long time Okay, over recent years. Um who knows where you'll find me in the worship center. <laughs> I am sometimes sitting with other young adults. Yeah. I'm sometimes coming in late, so I <laughs> sneak in somewhere. <laughs> For sure. But uh, you'll normally find me after the service. Okay. Before uh, is less likely. I might be picking up students and coming here or uh, just trying to get out the door myself. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And what life group or discipleship making group are you involved in here at Bethel? Yeah, I have uh, the great blessing of being a part of the Bethel Young Adults Life Group. It started back in 2020. Okay. Uh, uh, very organically, uh, a couple guys who were on staff at the time kind of saw a need to have a more focused setting where young adults in the church could connect with one another yeah. and both build relationships, but also try to grow in their faith yeah. and study the Word together. And so, you know, the... The format and the place and even the people leading it has evolved over the past few years, mm-hmm. but it continues to be a great blessing to me and quite a few others. And that's on Monday nights, right? Yes. And uh, you're part of the lead team, actually, right? I am. Yeah. You, Josh, Graham, Titus, uh, and there's one other I'm missing. Oh, uh, Brandon, Braden Vicks, right? You four? Yeah, so actually we uh, were trying something new this year where we invited a few more people to lead with us. Yeah. Instead of just having a nebulous like, hey, help us lead. For sure. Or like, hey, can you commit to leading with us for the coming year? Yeah. And so the leadership team for Bethel Young Adults this year is myself, uh, Titus Torkelson, his wife Lauren, 
uh, Josh Doctor. Oh, Josh Doctor. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. Now, there are many name duplicates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a few. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Caitlin Morrison. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. And then Braden Vicks. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so they're all heavily involved. And you guys meet on Monday nights. What time and what location? I forget. Yeah, we meet at 7 p.m. Uh, our default location is in the community room over at the place where Titus and Lauren live. At their apartment, right? Yeah, it's a complex called Stone West Village Apartments. Okay. It's near Home Depot. Okay. It's also one of the SCAF apartment complexes. Yeah. And so if people are interested, they are more than welcome to join us. For sure. Uh, the info should be on the Life Group page on Bethel. Bethel's website. Yep. Awesome, man. Well, good deal. Good deal. Well, again, we're stoked to have you, um, James. And the conversation we're going to have today is, is blind spots, welcoming others and seeking out those on the edge. So let's kind of dive in here. How do you define seeking out others and, and those who are on the edge? Yeah. I would say when, so in the context of like my involvement with Bethel, when I am, you know, here on a Sunday morning, or at my life group on a Monday night, or around youth group on a Sunday afternoon. Um, Something that I've come to really care about and try to practice well is paying attention to who is around, and also paying attention to those who are not engaging with others, or who are kind of on the fringes, uh, those who may be new. Uh, And that's, yeah, something that... I've found over the years God has really put on my heart and I, I kind of gravitate towards. Yeah. I have, I guess for that context, the advantage of being someone who's fairly extroverted. For sure. And um, one of my uh, strengths finder uh, talents is woo, apparently. <laughs> so woo, I'm, woo, Oh, woo? What, what do you mean? Yeah. I, this is new to me. Yeah. So with, uh, with the whole strengths quest thing, uh, there's a bunch of different talents that they kind of identify in people. Okay. And so uh, apparently the what what they label as woo is this idea of people who love the challenge of meeting someone new, of breaking the ice, okay. of establishing a connection. Yeah. Uh, and that's you would not have believed it when I was in like eighth grade or ninth grade. <laughs> I it's almost like I had a personality flip. That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, those who have known me over more recent years throughout my adulthood would definitely uh, affirm that I'm someone who uh, loves to meet people, loves to make a connection and to visit. And uh, I think though it goes deeper than just my personality or the way I'm wired. Yeah, uh, I really believe that it's uh, important for us to care well for the people around us and for us as part of the body of Christ yeah. Uh, to not just uh, get to know and uh, befriend the people who kind of come to us, but to to really recognize and seek out and pursue the people who otherwise are just going to stay on the fringes. Yeah, and you, and you, we're not using that term in terms of like a certain type of person, but it's really somebody that's not in that it's in an environment. Mm-hmm. Um, physically there that is kind of like maybe out on the outskirts, like students are really good at this. Like if they're more extroverted there, you know, you just stand in a youth ministry space and you could, you could see those who are engaging, having fun. They've got a friend mm-hmm. and you can see those that are like, Lord, help me, please help me. I don't, I yeah. don't want to be here. Or maybe they don't have, a, they don't have great relationships with the people, mm-hmm. but I am fascinated by how the same thing happens in adults. It does. It looks different. Mm-hmm. And so really just to lean in here, the conversation is about those who are here physically in some environment, 
mm-hmm. men's, women's, college ministry, I mean, student ministry, you name it. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, they are not engaging with people around them in that room for whatever reason, mm-hmm. right? Am I describing that correctly? Yeah, I think so. And so, like, have you always had a desire, like, where you've kind of had your head on a swivel a little bit, where you've been looking for people, like, even as a, as a kid or a student, were you like that or no? Or has this more flourished as, as an adult? You know, that's uh, an interesting question because I feel like uh, in some regards, I almost had the shoe on the other foot where I was, from the time I started coming to Bethel, like my family and I were involved in ministry here. Uh, I always, I was someone who genuinely enjoyed and wanted to be part of the kids ministry, then the student ministry, whatever was going on. Yeah. And so like all the years I was in youth group, uh, I loved coming. Uh, but I know for me personally, I was very close with my brothers and towards my later years of high school, I started to develop. Uh, some closer friendships. But for a lot of that time, I came and I like knew who people were and I would interact, but it didn't feel like I had many like deep connections mm. or or actual like tangible friendships. Yeah. And so uh, I know the Lord really blessed me during my final couple of years in youth group where partly just through uh, kind of internally recognizing that I don't have to just befriend the people my age, that I can build friendships with people younger than me. Yeah. Uh, like some of my brother Christian's friends became yeah. and are still uh, my closest friends. And so he, he was older, so you probably get kind of drug along a little bit then. And so by default, his friends are com- becoming your friends. So actually kind of reverse. I'm the eldest. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. My bad. Yep. So and does it go you, Christian, Paul, or you, Paul, Christian? It was me, Paul, Christian. Okay. Okay. So yeah. James, Paul, Christian. Okay. So Christian was the younger one. Interesting. It does. Uh, yeah. Because usually the younger one, by default, has the friends of their older sibling because they're tagged along. I know. Yeah. We're an interesting dynamic. But oh, I love it. Awesome, man. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. Um, and just for clarity's sake, does this only apply to believers or to non-believers alike? You know, I I believe that it's really important for us as believers to to have this mindset, yeah. uh, both with believers and with non-believers. Mm-hmm. It can look a little different, um, but I mean, anytime we are in a group or a setting or a community or a place, uh, it it really feels like to me that Jesus has set the example of someone who has reached out and pursued those on the edge, yeah. who has like lifted up those who are often neglected. Yep. Yes, and sir. so it it seems like, man, how can we uh, seek to do anything other than that? And, and man, I think oftentimes when, when we see those around us, like it, I mean, if anything, it's allowing us to build more relationships, more connections. Mm-hmm. It's helping them to feel more loved and cared for. I remember coming home, I don't know, for lunch or something one day, which I normally don't do. Pull in the driveway, and I look over my neighbor, which I don't know how old he is. I mean, he's got to be in his 60s, and I was like, that mug is planting a tree. Mm-hmm. So I go in, change clothes, grab a shovel. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. like, how long is it going to take that long? So I go over, I'm like, hey, you know, like, next thing I know, you know the tree's planted in like nine seconds. And mm-hmm. Now, maybe, or maybe it was, I mean, it was like five minutes, but <laughs> maybe he felt, he was maybe mad at me because then he, you know, lost his workout because I helped him. But I, but if I wasn't observant, I mm-hmm. guess, so to speak, then I wouldn't have noticed that. And I mean, not that you have to do that, but there is something to be said for, Making sure that when you're, mm-hmm. in, especially in the context of church, at least, but not only yeah. that, like in, in other environments where you, you see those around you, mm-hmm. so that way then you can then build relationships or connections. And I didn't know this neighbor very well, but I mean, now planting the tree gave me an, a normal environment and excuse to ask questions. Mm-hmm. 
And so, uh, and it, it wasn't weird or awkward. And so just observing those around us, I think, is not only a way for us to care well for, for believers um, in the context of our church, but also a way for that God would use us to reach the lost. Yeah. Hey, I would, I would definitely echo that. I, uh, man, I love asking questions and learning more about people's stories and their lives. And that's, I don't know that it's anything profound, but if yeah. I'm encouraging people to like, whether I'm encouraging someone with, how do you actually build a friendship and build a relationship with someone? Or how do you seek out and pursue someone and care for them well? Like, man, it, it keeps coming back to that. Because if you have a genuine curiosity and a desire to to know another person and to discover them, yeah. uh, think of it almost like a scavenger hunt of like, man, there's this clue or there's this loose thread like, how do these fit together? Like, what makes this person who they are? Yeah. When when people sense that earnest curiosity and desire, um, it just, I know when others show that to me, uh, it inspires me to want to, like, share more and to kind of share who I am because yeah. I don't feel like I'm burdening them or, like, I'm wasting their time yeah. or, like, they're just kind of putting up with me to be courteous. For sure. And I think some listening may think, well, okay, James, Lucas, that's easy for you guys because you're expert. Well, okay, yeah. maybe, but I think there's some intentionality that you have, James, which which allows that to be a value for you. And and so you get your head on a swivel a little bit when you're in environments and, and looking for people on the edge. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I get that. But I also think that, I mean, I've talked to a lot of people in our church. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if I'd say a lot, maybe 10 to 15 that have mentioned, well, you know, I just feel like it's easier for me to come in and leave and, and mm-hmm. nobody notices me. And I'm like, okay, well, I get that. So I, I kind of mm-hmm. think there are some people who are really good at seeking out other people and building relationships, but but there's mm-hmm. also a component for, you know, other people to, you know, be willing to engage in conversations with other people as well. Like, I think there's kind of both sides to this thing where, yes, mm-hmm. there are some people who maybe need somebody to come to them, but also you have to reciprocate that relationship. Mm-hmm. And I often think, well... On the other side of awkwardness is a relationship. So yep. you just got to get the awkwardness going and then, you know, just and see see where it goes from there. I mean, every relationship starts off a little awkward, a little weird. And, and yeah. on the other side of that, there, there's a relationship. And so um, I just, just to, make, to make the point, I think there's mm-hmm. two sides to this. The, yeah. We need to seek after each other. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I've seen people in the context of church who have been sought after, sought after, sought after. And they don't, they don't make any attempt. And then I think to myself, well, maybe you would feel more connected if you would make an attempt. Hmm. So, I, you know, um, just to, there's kind of both sides to this, I guess, is my point I'm trying to make. There maybe. is. And I think, uh, I know oftentimes when we think about different, like, strengths or needs yeah. uh, in a church context, um, maybe because we have internalized the idea of spiritual gifts, we're like, oh, well... I'll leave that to the person who, that's their gift. For sure. And whether it's like evangelism, well, I'll let the person with evangelism do that. Yeah. And so, like, my hope and and challenge to people would be like, hey, even if you're introverted or it's not just an extroversion, introversion yeah. thing. Like, Absolutely. Even if you're someone who doesn't naturally gravitate to new people, um, it can still be really meaningful both to you and to the people you are seeking out and taking a step with, if you're willing to do that. And I think of one of my friends in the Bethel Young Adults group. Uh, I won't I won't drop his name to embarrass him, but honestly, multiple people in the Young Adults group I know who are definitely not extroverted. They would not describe themselves that way. Yeah. 
And over the past year or two, I've seen uh, just them really uh, genuinely and proactively mm. uh, reach out and make a point of, you know, not just formalities of introducing themselves, but For really sure. trying to connect with people who they wouldn't normally. And I'm like, man, that's, I know that that's something I gravitate towards, and I recognize that's not something that you guys do. So yeah. I'm very, very grateful when people around me who don't naturally air that way say, hey, this is something that's important, and I'm willing to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I think the biblical values and the scripture that we have is supersedes our our personalities and our personal preferences and the way that we're wired. I, mm-hmm. Man, I think, I think those things... Um, the Lord will use in the moments of where our, we are weak and maybe we don't want to engage other people. I, I mean, I think those biblical values in that scripture should drive our desire mm-hmm. to get outside of our comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know any passage in scripture that where the Lord would say comfort is a value. Well, not even a value, but a priority or important or like it's, I, I, I've not, I've, I mean, I don't know all the all of the scripture, but I've yet to find that that is something the Lord would desire. If anything, I see the opposite, mm-hmm. where God's people um, should outdo each other, showing brotherly love. Mm-hmm. And I think head on a swivel, trying to find people who obviously look like they're on the edge and they don't have any friends, or not necessarily don't have any friends, but they, you know, give that appearance that they're not, you know, having mm-hmm. fun. Like man, like if if the church were to do that, mm-hmm. oh man. I think our church would look a lot different. Yeah. And honestly, I think it can be even simpler than trying to like analytically look at the people around and be like, okay, who who here looks the most lonely? <laughs> like headhunting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. That, um, yes. Yeah. Like I, I think there is actually some importance to say, hey, I'm going to seek out the people who are being least sought after. Yeah. But even on like a simpler and easier level, just noticing who are the people around me whether it's who am I walking out of the service next to or who am I sure. sitting with, yeah. who's showing up at the men's group, um, who always sits in the same spot at the Bethel Young Adults group next to me. Yes, sir. Um, like just recognizing those things and saying like, hey, God has put this person within conversations distance from yeah. me. And so I want to value them. Yeah. Why would you say it often seems that there are many that fit this description in the context of the church? Where there are many that are, that are on the fringe, so to speak. And again, we're not talking economic status or skin color or political. N- none of those things. Just simply. Mm-hmm. Uh, but why does it often seem that there are people that fit this mm-hmm. description on the edge in the context of the church? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think um, just on a macro level, the reality is that humans are designed for community with God and with one another, Amen. and that because of uh, the brokenness of sin and how that uh, affects and corrupts the world, yeah. that there's always this issue of whether people are seeking that connection and that relationship or not, there's this disconnect. Yeah, And so I think on a macro level, that's one part. Um, and even when you look at our our culture, like I've I've really been enjoying... Uh, over the years of getting to know international students more, just starting to catch glimpses firsthand of other people's, not just like cultures and foods or languages, 
but like the way they relate to people or mm. think about society or think about like what their purpose is in life yeah. or how they are a part of a community or how they are an individual. And one of the realities is that the U.S., like a lot of Western cultures, is a highly individualized uh, culture and setting. Yeah compared to a lot of other places throughout the world. Yeah, they're more community-focused and yeah. you know, it's and, a high value for them. Yeah, and so there are there are strengths and good things about being part of an uh, individualist society, Yeah, just like there are weaknesses to being part of one that's more collectivist. For sure. But one of the, uh, I think one of the areas where we can oftentimes be lacking and not even realize we're lacking in a more individualized context is we kind of think uh, like, hey, I'm my life and the way I'm operating and the way I'm relating to everyone else is kind of all viewed through the framework of how does this interact with me as a person yeah. versus, um, you know, someone who grows up in another setting and really they, they're thinking in terms of we way more than they're thinking of I. Yeah. Which I see more we's and us's and ours in the scripture than I see eyes, mm-hmm. you know? And I, man, I was, uh, we got this little, the house we bought, there's a spot that they left that they were going to build a shed. Anyway, mm-hmm. they ended up selling the house and we bought it. And so we don't need a shed. I was like, man, I'm, I'm, we're going to put a garden in this bad boy. So mm-hmm. I, buddy from church went down and was like, hey man, you got a tiller and I can borrow? I was like, yeah, yeah, come over. And mm-hmm. so went down, picked it up and, and I go, hey man, thanks so much for letting me borrow this. And he goes, man, this don't belong to me. Like this ain't mine. Like, you know, he you know he lives outside of town and on a farm and look around, got all kinds of stuff. You know, he goes, "This ain't mine. Like, this is just borrowed. The Lord's given this to me, so mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm just like you're not borrowing something for me. I just am entrusted with this, mm-hmm. and it's a Lord's, and so you're borrowing something from the Lord. So, so have at it, man. And I just it was a it, it helped me understand mm-hmm. and and simplistic, but yet it, he he made the intentionality to make those connections so that way I understood and it, where he was coming from and. The fact that, like, man, this is this is given to him from the Lord, and his desire is to bless other people with it. It's not his. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the Lord's, and whoever needs it needs it. And yeah. so, it just was super cool. And so, I, I appreciate your perspective on that, man. And so, why um, is this sometimes? Why is this something that's specifically uh, something that God has placed on your heart? Because I mean, I without a doubt see this in you mm-hmm. um, and your desire to have your head on on a swivel, so to speak, and and to see the people around it. So why do you feel like this is something the Lord has placed on your heart? Yeah, I think there are several different factors that lead into that. One would be, so in no particular order, one would be just the experiential side of, you know, I've had seasons of my life where I was, you know, part of this church community and very faithfully around, but it didn't feel like I was actually uh, in a setting where I had deep, genuine, authentic relationships with people. Yeah. And so there's that experiential side. There's also the side that I kind of touched on earlier of as I've grown over, older and discovered like more about how God has made me, yeah. it really does feel like this is a way that he's wired me and I just almost can't help myself yeah. but do it. Yeah. And it's just supernatural. To, I mean, it's just very natural for you. To, yes. To be this way. Yeah. And, and to engage with people. Yeah. And not that, and that can actually be a risk is um, for us as people, when we have a strength, sometimes we can just kind of go on autopilot and be like, yeah. well, I know how to do that. I'm good at that. I don't have to think about it. For sure. And so I can find myself at times 
recognizing like, hey, I could be like honoring the Lord more in this or be more intentional or more uh, or more disciplined with how I'm doing this, uh, but I'm just kind of falling into autopilot. Yeah. And so like that, even though I people may see me doing this a lot and think, oh, he's really good at that. Like that's something I need to be cautious of. Yeah. And then the third, I'd say the third factor for why I think God has placed this on my heart. Um, <laughs> yes, stay close to the mic. There you go. Um, is just in scripture, as you were alluding to earlier, uh, throughout uh, the Bible and throughout the New Testament, like we see over and over again, this idea that we are part of Christ's body. Yeah. Like the church, uh, Paul and others repeatedly use this imagery of we're part of a body. And so, like, yes, we're still individuals. Like my, uh, for me to trust Christ, like I need to put my faith in Christ. I can't rely on like my parents' faith. Yeah. But at the same time, when I am saved and redeemed and restored to relationship with God, that's not just a solo relationship, but rather I become part of literally Christ's body, yeah. literally part of Christ's bride. There's all these different images. Yeah. And so, um, you you think of verses where it's like, "Hey, I'm you are not your own. You are yeah. bought at a price. Yeah. Therefore, honor God with your body." And that's not just in terms of sexuality or yeah. overeating or anything like that. But we are part of something greater. Yeah. And the beautiful thing is, it's not this like humanist, like, "Oh, we're part of this great." like human civilization that yeah. must achieve its full potential. <laughs> but it's, we're yeah. part of this uh, body of people who are redeemed and who are meant to function as a unit. Yeah. And so if I'm not functioning as part of that body, or if someone else is not, then A, they're not living and experiencing the way that God wants them to. Yeah. And B, it's hurting not just them, but the people around them. Because like, you know, when Paul uses the body analogy, he says, hey, you know, the the mouth or the foot or the hand can't just be like, ah, oh, I'm, I'm done with you guys. I'm yeah. leaving. Yeah. Like that. It's not how it works. That's, that's exactly right. I agree, man. I, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued here. Cause I, I think, uh, physically worship, worshiping at church, whatever, whatever church somebody would call their home church is extremely, extremely important. Hmm. Um, and I think there is an aspect of being around often can create an environment to be known, mm-hmm. but I'm also intrigued and we're all different and we're mm-hmm. all wired differently. I'm intrigued how, like for you, you were around quite a bit physically, mm-hmm. but yet you didn't feel, you didn't use this language, but you didn't feel fully known mm-hmm. or you didn't have deep rooted relationships with other people. Mm-hmm. Why, why do you think that was? Because I'm in no way am convinced that like osmosis, I don't know if that's the right word, but just like being around, you just absorb something that may not be the right term. But um, mm-hmm. like I, I'm not, I'm in no no way naive enough just to assume that just because you're physically there means that you're mm-hmm. automatically going to have amazing relationships or automatically going to be known or automatically going to be thriving in your walk with the Lord and community is going to be amazing. I, I don't think just being there mm-hmm. is enough. I mean, no. I think it's needed, mm-hmm. but so how, how did that play out for you by being around a lot, but yet not fully known and deep rooted relationships by other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I would I would echo what you're saying. I mean, it it seems like you look at sociology and oftentimes some of the loneliest places are, you know, being in a crowd or, you yeah. know, even like 
when you're married, being in a marriage or some other friendship, but you're around people and you still feel lonely and disconnected. And then yeah. it feels almost more hopeless because you're like, well, I have people here. It's not that I'm off on a desert island, yeah. but I'm still feeling really isolated. For sure. And so, yeah, proximity alone is not enough. Yeah. Um, for my personal experience, um, I think part of it was just uh, growing up, I had some preconceived notions about uh, like how to relate people how to relate to people or uh, having friends. And so it kind of took me time to learn through those. Yeah. And part of it was also just, you know, being willing to be vulnerable with others. Like one of the guys who has discipled me over the years challenged me early on and said like, hey, James, I can, I can see you going through a lot of your life and like being involved with stuff, helping with things, you know, knowing people, but not really genuinely deeply being known. Yeah. And so being willing to be vulnerable and honest and confess yeah. in and like show the areas where I'm weak has been some of the things that were really necessary for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To like move past some of those struggles or to at least uh, grow in my battle with those struggles and also for growing in relationships. Yeah. No, that's good, man. Why do you think it seems, or I, I mean, I often think it is, it seems mm-hmm. intimidating for many people to try to go after those who are on the fringe or who aren't fully connected yet. Why, why in your experience and your observations and conversations with people, why, do you, why, why, why would you say it seems intimidating mm-hmm. for a lot of people to actually do that? Mm-hmm. I would say really for both the person like initiating and for the person who yeah. has someone approaching them. Yeah there's this reality that it's the more you want to do it, the more it's going to demand vulnerability. And like that's saying, Hey, I'm willing to open myself up yeah, and like to a way where I'm not as guarded, not as protected. And, you know, I don't know how others will respond or I don't know, like if I invest like, Hey, two or three coffee meetups with someone or this time, or like I share part of my story and yeah. then they just, Oh, you know, in the Midwest, it's probably more so like kind of being pleasant or ghosting you. It's not so much like, oh, I'm going to tell everyone your deepest secrets and like, yeah, yeah, uh huh, uh huh. But e- even if there's not the whole like, oh, I'm stabbing you in the back, there's still this vulnerability of are people going to reciprocate or value me or stay close to me as I do that? Man, yeah, I, I, I think that's a, a, a wise observation. Um, because you're right. As as we lean in more in relationships, mm-hmm. um, if you know if you if you're not, you're going to have to be more vulnerable because mm-hmm. there's going to be probably more questions. Unless you just get together and ask the same, you know, how's the weather and how's your fam, and you just just generic stuff, which people can do. Mm-hmm. But there's a cost to building relationships. There is, and that's I think that's the other part of even setting aside the vulnerability aspect, uh, like to pursuing to pursue someone, to build a relationships with someone, to try to help someone connect, there's yeah. going to be a personal cost. And as as I get older and I'm involved in a lot of things and I have a lot of people that I'm like, either are friendships or family that I want to maintain or develop or people who I'm trying to pursue, yeah. like time honestly becomes more valuable than money. 
I'm intrigued. Say more, my friend. I'm intrigued. Yeah. And I mean, this is coming from a single guy who does not have a spouse <laughs> or kids. I'm, yeah. Yeah. So just to, if for those who don't know you, and I'm not that I've ever been to your house, but my, but because you live at home with family, right? Yes. So it's yeah. not like you've got a house and five cars in the garage and all the things and just, so I'm intrigued, James. I'm super fascinated here because most people like who's, who've, made tons of money and have all the stuff and are like in their forties would say that. I mean, mm-hmm. may, maybe or not give or take, but so w- why would you say that time at your phase of life is much more important than money? Cause I don't think most students would say that. Hmm. I mean, you're not a student, but young adult. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. I mean, you're, you're a grown man, but you, you get the point. Yeah. No, uh, I, I mean, part of it is I'm someone who, uh, one of my weaknesses is saying no. Uh, because I, I so you're love, saying you have no time. I love that's saying, what I hear. <laughs> I love saying yes to to people and things that I care about and value. And as I'm surrounded by people in like my church community, yeah, and the the college community that I'm still connected to and still serve, yeah. And <laughs> I keep bumping another mic. Thank you, sir. You're doing great. I'm too only. expressive. You're doing great. I should have given you more room to yeah. to move around. My bad. Wide wingspan. Um, uh, so yeah, there are there are so many people through like my church community and uh, the local community even, yeah. and, and opportunities where I'm like, hey, that I would love to help someone in that way, yeah. or I see this need in my church, or there's this cool community event I want to go and I'll try to yeah. invite some others. Yeah, and so you know now having a actually like a full-time job instead of a couple part-time things with being a student, yeah. I'm recognizing like, hey, I have things that need my time and that I'm supposed to be devoting my time to. Yeah. And there's all these other like people and things and uh, other opportunities that I'm attracted towards. And so I'm like, hey, if someone could give me an extra hour or two in the day, like I would take that over any sort of wage increase <laughs> for sure i'm tracking with you man in what ways has god used this passion in your life to help other people i mean i'm sure you've got some stories or you've seen god work in your life or in the lives of other people just because of your willingness to see them and you spark a relationship next thing you know you know you're connecting with other people they're they're involved and so how have you seen god use this passion in your life yeah so this is that's a question where it's interesting because I want to be uh, like clear-minded and open-eyed and recognize my strengths and where God has gifted me. Yeah. And I also want to be aware of like developing pride in myself because I'm someone who externally is always pretty humble, but it's, yeah. I would say like most people, probably all of us, it can still be really easy for me to uh, start to feel like satisfied or motivated of like, oh yeah, I did that. Or like, I helped all these people get connected in. Yeah, for sure. I I get that. Yeah. But I I would say it has been a blessing and humbling to see over the years, whether in the context of crew or Bethel's youth group or now our young adults life group. Yeah. uh, To just see people who God brings across my path and I'm able to interact with and try to I'm a serial inviter, and so if someone meets me, uh, especially if they have some sort of uh, shared 
uh, interest or shared circle with me, they're mm. probably going to start <laughs> hearing about all these things from James and they'll be like, stop texting me. Yes, sir. Um, but man, as, as I think about over the years and the people God has brought across across my path, I'm really grateful to see how um, how he has helped quite a few of them get connected and build relationships. And yeah. like that's something I both for my sake and for others' sakes, I don't want to start thinking like, oh, that's James doing that, or I'm just so good at leading a small group, or yeah. I'm uh, I'm just that charming of a person. <laughs> because I recognize that like I'm sinful and flawed, and I have, man, countless weaknesses. Yeah. And so, you know, there are so many things that could derail, derail relationships, derail my ability to, um, to really pursue people and love people well. And so I have to believe that God is choosing to work through me and that it's encouraging and it's exciting when I'll hear someone make a comment of like, oh yeah, James invited me. And someone else is like, oh yes, of course. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so hopefully in those moments when I hear those passing comments, it's not just an internal like pat on the back and like, oh yeah, yep, I'm the guy who got everyone here. Yeah, for sure. But it's more so a reminder of like, man, I even in my limited strength and ability, like God can use me to help bring people together That's and right. to help help people like find community, hopefully in a context where it's a community that actually cares for them. Yeah. And it's a community of people who are focused on like loving Jesus. Yeah, for sure. Um, what, what's a, bib, a biblical example of where you've seen this in the scripture where somebody has sought out somebody else on the fringe or it may, I mean, mm-hmm. it could have been Christ himself. We've kind of alluded to examples of that, but is there a specific passage that you can think of that would be mm-hmm. helpful for somebody? So they, so they just don't think like, well, we're just you know making this up or whatever, but there's, there's a, some biblical examples of this taking place in scripture. Yeah. man. so, uh, uh, I guess little background, uh, I did get to kind of look over some questions in advance that Lucas sent me. And so when you sent me that question, one of the stories that just kind of popped into my mind is from the book of Acts. Yeah. And in Acts chapter 9, it's uh, shortly after uh, Saul, later called Paul, is converted. Yeah. And like literally this miraculous Christ appears to him, he sends Ananias and Ananias is like, Lord, that's the last guy that I want to go talk to. Or <laughs> yes, see. sir. Um, but like Paul is transformed. He is saved. Uh, he immediately does 180 and starts like testifying to G- who Jesus is yeah. and proving him from the scriptures. And then as Paul experiences for literally the rest of his life, people get mad at him, drive him out. Yes, sir. And so as he's experiencing that, there's this guy named Barnabas who um, I I don't remember if he like hears of Paul and is like, oh, I got to go find this guy. Or if he meets him and he's like, oh, yeah. the others have to uh, have to see this. Because, I mean, Paul was literally the most notorious Christian hater yeah. and persecutor in all of Israel and beyond. Yeah. But Barnabas seeks him out uh, and he's like, hey, I know that God has done a work in you. Like, I know that you are transformed and I know that honestly, most of the other Christians are terrified of you and don't trust yeah. you and are not reaching out to you. And so he uh, goes and gets Paul and brings him to the disciples in Jerusalem and is like, hey guys, 
this guy's legit. Like he's not trying to not trying to pull the wool over your eyes. Like God has yeah. transformed him. Yeah. And it just it makes me think. I don't think any of us have experienced a dramatic thing where God God is like, hey, that person was literally killing Christians. You need to go and uh, bring them over to this church. Yeah. But kind of like we see Barnabas seeking out Paul and bringing him in. Yeah. Like he is someone who otherwise, you know, no one else was going after him or is like inviting him to meet and fellowship with the believers at Jerusalem. And so God puts it on Barnabas's heart and says, hey, like, this is someone who you need to go after. Yeah. And so that, that was actually a story that pretty quickly came to my mind yeah. after you sent me that question. And, and I could see other people in Barnabas's life being like, hey, bro, like, uh, uh, homie, that's, that's not a good idea. You shouldn't mm-hmm. do that. And, and, I could see, and I could see why some people maybe would say that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's risky. There, mm-hmm. there's, you're seeking after somebody who has got a history mm-hmm. that everybody else would would look at him and be like, on my dead body, am I going to go hang out with Saul who became Paul kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. And I'm intrigued because we live in a culture today mm-hmm. where I think sometimes we, we could do that as well. Now, and I'm not saying if, if you struggle with alcohol and drugs, I don't think you should be hanging out with people who drink a lot and I don't think you should be going to bars and I don't mm-hmm. think you should be going to places you get drugs. Mm-hmm. Like I know a student who in the past who quit a job at a place because that's where he got his, his drugs. And mm-hmm. I'm like, that is wisdom right there. So I'm not saying that somebody should put themselves in a vulnerable position to where their walk with the Lord is hindered. Mm-hmm. But I, but I also see all over scripture where people are going believers mm-hmm. who love the Lord are going after those who aren't your cookie cutter, all put together, mm-hmm. um, um, type of of person, mm-hmm. and so I'm, I, I think it's okay to say that we should take some risk in our lives as believers mm-hmm. to seek after those who um, need the Lord. Yeah, you know, and I'm not saying we should put ourselves in dangerous situations. That's, that's mm-hmm. we we should use wisdom and discernment for sure. Mm-hmm. But man, we've got to be seeking after those who don't. Um, have relationship with Christ, no matter what they're involved in, and no matter what their lives look like. Mm-hmm. And so, anyway, just as a side note, it's making me just think of who in my life do I need to be seeking after that I would normally not want to seek after. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so well, great. So Acts nine, so that's good, man. Um. If if more people were doing this, um, going after those, or just or just seeing those around them, not only here at church, but you know at home or neighbors or, you know, whatever context the Lord puts us in. If we were to be going after those, we take off the blind spots and we seek after those who are on the edge, how would this affect and change our church body? Mm-hmm. Man, I I don't know that I have anything profound, and it might be cliche, but I think, um, I think that the, the more that we pursue people and build relationships with them. And I know it sounds sounds kind of cliche. Uh, like that will uh, help help us to show Christ's love to others yeah. and that it will help us to more effectively build God's kingdom. Yeah. And so like if our church, it, I'm sure, you know, multiple like pastors or leaders have said like, hey, imagine if like, 
everyone here, you know, said hi to the person next to them or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But I mean, if if everyone in our Bethel Church congregation on a Sunday morning could say to themselves, like, hey, even though there's over a thousand people in this building, it's not like a church that's 50 people or 200 people. Yeah. If every if everyone at Bethel said, hey, I know like two or three or 10 or 20 people, I actually know them. Yeah. And I know that like two or three or five of them really know me and care about me. Like, man, that is incredibly motivating. Yeah. And that's, it goes from suddenly, it goes from often being like, oh, I know I should do this. I should come to church. People are friendly. I'll say hi. To being like, hey, these are the people I want to be around because it's life-giving. Yeah. And in the community, I think, you know, we can, we can be those same people. Yeah. Where it's like, hey, that in the workplace, or if I'm sitting at Broadway Square, or you know, if you know someone's out like at a at a soccer game or a football game watching their kids, to be that person who others know, like, oh, this person strikes up a conversation not just because they're Midwest nice, yeah, or like this person asks me about my kids or my family or this issue in my life, not just because. They're trying to find something to talk about, but yeah. because they actually care about me and they value me, like, man, that Lord willing would not increase us in the eyes of other people, yeah. but would just point out like, hey, this is someone who is different. And it's we know that that would be the Holy Spirit yeah. and that would be the power of Jesus working through us. For sure. Yeah, I don't, man, I think just simple things are just being, I think oftentimes in life, just being intentionality with a couple of things is, mm -hmm. is probably going to be enough for you to, you know, for this particular conversation at hand. I mean, I think even thinking, you know, get here a little earlier so you can purposely have some time to run into somebody or don't schedule something right after the service so you get time to, mm -hmm. to linger and hang around and, and maybe have a goal of walking in and, and you're like, okay, God, I, I don't really like people. <laughs> But I love you, and you want me to care well for people, and to care well for the people means I got to know somebody, which mm -hmm. I probably got to know their name. So, God help me just to meet somebody today, yeah. and you know, and just just to be a little intentional with it. I, mm -hmm. I think, man, would be tremendous. And I often hear where people say, "Well, you used to be part of a church that was a hundred people, and I knew everybody." Mm -hmm. And I'm, I think to myself, I don't know if that's even possible. Mm. I mean, I, if Bethel Church was ten people, okay. But if we're not intentional about pursuing each other, being in community, having people over, mm -hmm. you know, spending time together, I mean, I think you could have a church of ten people and never. It's it, it's different to know of somebody and to be truly known. Mm -hmm. And so when I hear people tell me that, I'm not ever really fully convinced they really knew all hundred people mm -hmm. or the hundred people that they say you know. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, there's some you know probably some research out there, and I even remember reading a book one time that. If I remember correctly, it referenced like the average person, no matter how big or small their church is, really only truly knows less than 30 people. Mm -hmm. And and don't, you know, I could be off on that. I don't remember what the name of the book or whatever, but just, but but knowing of somebody and being truly known mm -hmm. and cared for, I think there's a difference between like, oh yeah, I think there's this guy in my church that does blank. And me being able to open my phone and be like, I could call this dude right here mm -hmm. and I know he would answer no yeah. matter where I am or what I'm struggling with, and I could be 100% raw with this mug and he's going to show up my life. Mm -hmm. That's different. Yeah. Just because just, just you know of a lot of people, that doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. But truly knowing people, I think, is extremely significant. And by knowing each other, 
I think that's where discipleship genuinely takes place. I don't think you can mm-hmm. have discipleship apart from relationships. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that sounds like a Bible verse. It's not uh, just, it, that sounds very tweetable, but, uh, but it's, but it's not, I mean, I think relationships are extremely significant. And when we have those deep relationships that are rooted Mm-hmm. in the gospel and our desire to care well for other people biblically, mm-hmm. I think that's when discipleship really um, uh, becomes a, a beautiful thing that takes place in the lives of believers. Yeah. And I would say just to to maybe relieve pressure on, on someone who is hearing this and is feeling mm-hmm. like, oh man, I I don't know if I have it within me to become like a confidant or real close to that college yeah. student who sits across the aisle yeah. or that retired couple who sits two rows ahead of me. Like the, the beauty is that I feel like there's really a spectrum. Mm. And so it's not like, Oh, well, if I say hi to someone and say, Hey, let's go grab lunch. Yeah. Or if I'm like, Hey, I'll, uh, I'll come and help you with this project in your yard. Yeah. That's not uh a commitment, whether explicit or internal, like I'm going to be your soulmate or like yeah. your best friend. <laughs> we ain't getting married, bro. It's cool. Like we ain't living yeah. together. But like I, and man, I'm so fortunate and so blessed. I think about when I'm in Bethel, sometimes I love just looking around during worship, and like noticing the individuals and the couples and the families. And I'm like, man, there are so many people here who, because I've rubbed shoulders with them over the years. Heck yeah, man. Like I, I know them enough to know that like, if I'm talking to them or if I'm with them, like they care about me yeah. and they want to be around me and they value me. And so even if I only talk to them a couple times a month yeah. or I normally don't see them outside the context of church, man, that is one of the things that refreshes and lifts my spirit so much being part of the body is saying like, yeah. hey, I I have this community of people around me who I feel like I belong yeah. and I feel like they care about me. One of my favorite things, our church does it a little bit differently, but in the past, been a part of churches that we do communion where you, you walk up front and grab the elements and go have a seat. And one of my mm-hmm. favorite things to do is to sit there and just to watch the families go by because each family represents a story. And some I'm like, mm-hmm. oh man, I didn't know. I, oh, that's a guy I need to get to know. Mm-hmm. Or, or oh, oh, I know, the, I know the history of that family or the things they've struggled with. Or, yeah. like, knowing the stories mm-hmm. in my mind is just significant Yeah, to be able to care well for people and, and and the beauty about for you and your family you guys have been here forever man you've got some deep and that's the thing i do love about our church man i meet people all the time i, I think two things i just need to assume they're related to half the people i know <laughs> which is almost completely true and the other thing i, I just need to assume that they've been around a long time and mm. I, man i cannot tell you how many people i run into it. i'm like how long have been a part of bethel Oh, like 35 years or so. I mean, they, they have to like stop and think. And I'm like, oh, I'm at like six months. Or they're like, oh, it, oh I think it's about 25 or 28. I don't know, 30 years. And I'm just like, <laughs> there, there's a there's a, a coolness to that mm-hmm. um, history. And just, I don't know, just um, I, I long for, for that even for my own family. So yeah. Um, how do we help our people see their blind spots. And when I say blind spot for our conversation here, just for full clarity, it's helping see those around us to help care for them. Those are on the edge. And so how, how do we help our people do that, James? Hmm. And I'm sure there's lots of ways, you know, I mean, but just what you've seen and things that have worked for you and um, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I don't want to get too repetitive, but uh, I think, one one big way is for us to just consciously ask ourselves like who is 
who do I find myself physically around? Yeah. You know, whether that's at work, whether that's, you know, interacting with others in the context of your kid's school, whether that's here at church or at small group, or if you're volunteering at church or wherever. Yeah. Um, And then thinking about like who here or who in those settings do I interact with? Who do I not? Yeah. And then as you think about that, starting to pay attention and notice like who are the people who normally are either not engaging in the conversation or like not even part of the conversation, like who's kind of sitting on their own. Um, And it, again, it, it feels kind of simplistic, but I think if we, if we are to do this well, we have to first start noticing like who's around us. And then uh, it's almost like upgrading your, um, upgrading your, uh, your vision technology to see farther and farther away. Yeah. And so as you start to notice that, then hopefully you start to notice like, okay, who in the context of our church or maybe our community, like who are the people who are even more on the fringes, whether whether that's an individual, whether that's a group, some someone or people who often are marginalized. Yeah. Um, and it's just the more that we recognize that and care about that, the more that we notice it. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like the whole... Once I start driving a Honda Civic, like I start recognizing more Honda Civics. Yes, sir. Or like if I'm a Vikings fan or a Bison fan, you know, if I'm in Minneapolis or if I'm in Kansas City and I see someone else with a Vikings or a Bison shirt, yeah. like hone in on that. Yeah. Also, just full disclaimer, I did not betray my mother. I am not a Vikings fan. She grew up in Wisconsin. <laughs> um, no, no worries, bro. It's all good. Yes. And so like the things we care about, we notice. Yeah. And Absolutely. so the more that we, you know, care about people and care about, you know, those who are often, often neglected or ignored, yeah. you know, and someone might not, the person that you're noticing might not think of themselves as like, oh, I'm a neglected person yeah. or, oh, I'm isolated. For sure. But I mean, we think about, you know, even within the church, it's really easy to have a lot of surface relationships. Oh man, yes. And Gosh. Yeah. And so then to think about, man, if I have some deep and meaningful relationships, like there are still probably a lot of people around me in the church who don't. Yeah. And certainly in the community, in my workplace, in the community organization, in school. Um, and yeah, I think, okay, I lost that train of thought. No, but you're good, bro. You're good. Yeah. Well, and I think if there's some some practical things I think of too, just you should probably not walk around every day with your headphones on out in mm-hmm. public. Yeah. You shouldn't be staring at your phone mm-hmm. all the time in public. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying those are simple things, but I, but I'm saying that, that you're creating barriers that are that are going to keep you from building relationships, potentially mm-hmm. building relationships. One of the things I often try my best to do, not in a condemning way, but in when I encourage students, like you know, when they're hanging out with us, I'm like, hey, you, hey, please take your your AirPods out and put those mm-hmm. away. Because when, when I'm staring at you and having a conversation with you and I see that AirPod, I'm thinking mm-hmm. most of the time, like, you're not listening to what I'm saying. Like, I, I think there's some small practical things like that that we can be intentional with that. And, and that's really, I think, the word that I think of more often than not in this conversation is just good intentionality on a couple of things mm-hmm. um, will help you develop this skill set of, of seeing others around you really well. Yeah. And would you say that this is something that Christ calls every believer to do? And as in trying to care for those around us? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we see Christ lead by example and then tell people specifically uh, to, to care for the least of these. Yeah. Uh, and he holds up those who are thought less of or on the margins or who are weak and says, hey, yeah. these are the people who are blessed and happy. And, you know, he, you know, after Peter betrays him and then he restores Peter, he's like, hey, Peter, feed my sheep, care for my sheep. Yeah. Like that's, I don't think that's just something for, you know, a, a pastor or like a, a ministry leader. Yeah. Um, and then you see the, uh, the example that's set throughout Acts and then the commands we receive as believers in yeah. all the epistles. And so it, it just feels like whether it's example or from Jesus' lips or from other uh, early Christians living it out or from apostles writing it to us, like we keep getting drilled into us, hey, you, when you are redeemed and restored by Christ, like it's not just to restore you to relationship with God, yeah. it's to restore you in your relationships with other people. Yeah. And when that's lived out in the context of the church, man, I I see this in the book of First John, not mm. John or Second or Third John, but First John specifically, this, this aspect of of loving God mm-hmm. and will bleed out upon us loving other people. Yes. And how that will be a witness. It can be and should be a witness to proclaim and magnify the name of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and they may come to the faith in Christ or, you know, that, that that's the Lord, uh, the Lord's job to save people, but mm-hmm. and maybe the Lord, you know, doesn't save that particular person because of, of the love and desire and the care that you've provided for somebody else. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. Like that's, that's on the Lord to do that. But our, what we should be, doing all that we can to genuinely care for those mm-hmm. around us, and especially those of um, the household of faith, I think, believes how the Scripture lays it out. And so um, we, we should be uh, practicing caring mm-hmm. well for each other like crazy. Yeah, and I think, I think another thing that uh, this really helps with is when we are intentionally looking for and reaching out to and caring for people around us, it kind of helps us build a healthy immune system against oh, man, the yeah. sin of partiality. Yeah. Because like you read in James or elsewhere where yeah. like we're really explicitly called out and said, don't show partiality to people because, yeah. you know, if they share the same background as you or economic yeah. status or whatever. Yeah. And like, I think, I think of the people I know and I can't think of a single person in church who would, would say, Hey, I, I want to show partiality to someone or even who would say like, oh yeah, I'm showing partiality to these people. But like as we, because we're people and we just naturally have weaknesses and we gravitate to what we know and what feels comfortable, um, it it can be easy to fall into that. And so when we're consciously saying, hey, I'm going to look for those who I don't just naturally gravitate towards, it helps us to care well for those who maybe their kids go to a different school or are in a different socioeconomic stratus than us or uh, who come from a different cultural background. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I do appreciate your time and you allowing us to peek into your heart and your desire to, to care well for those who are on the edge. And so before we, before we wrap up and go, how can we specifically be praying for you, James? And, and the things that the Lord's got you going that has you involved in and all the things you got going on in your life. How can we pray for you, bro? Yeah, man. I would say uh, 
the, a big prayer request would just be pray that I would seek the Lord and depend on him and not depend on my own strength yeah. uh, as someone who, you know, gravitates towards interacting with people and has a lot of ministry experience. It's easy to just kind of jump into that. And, you know, I really do want, whether it's in the context of Bridges International or whether it's in the context of Bethel or other things, like I, I, I often hear you talk about, man, like things you don't want to be thinking about or regretting on your deathbed. And I'm like, man, I don't want to have earnestly poured myself out and given, given of myself and invested myself in people and ministries and ways and get to the end and say, hey, there actually was not much genuine fruit because I was doing it in my own power or I was doing it selfishly. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. No, that's good, man. Well, thank you so much, James. Appreciate your time very much, brother. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the House on Fire podcast. Our prayer is that this podcast activates your home for Jesus. May the light of Christ burn bright through you and yours. Until next time.